The Big Screen is sponsored in part by Bristol-Myers Squibb, with additional support from Merck and Daiichi Sankyo, a company known for its passion for innovation and compassion for patients. Offscript Health would also like to thank Stupid Cancer, the National Cancer Institute, and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention for their contributions to this series. The history of cancer screening starts out like a detective movie. Throughout the 20th century, doctors and medical researchers are trying to track down this specter of disease. 155,000 men and women in the United States are doomed by enemy X to die this year. And then the pandemic hits like an asteroid, and our story turns into something of a disaster movie. If the killer is incubating plague, he can start spreading it within 48 hours. 48 hours? Yes, we have 48 hours. Shortly after that, you'll have the makings of an epidemic. And the result will be more horrible than any of you can imagine. And now as we look to the future of screening, biotech innovations are revolutionizing the field in bold and visionary ways. They sound straight sci-fi. This tiny cell, this microscopic unit of life, is a very world in itself, a universe to be explored. Here in this pinpoint universe lies the mystery of life and the riddle of cancer. So we are going to get the tricorder from Star Trek. The tricorder does get mentioned in biotech news a lot. And yes, several companies are trying to develop a scanning device similar to it. But Star Trek never could have predicted the type of technology that we're talking about. Because this is screening the next generation. It's got nothing to do with scanning. It's all about sequencing. In fact, it's called next generation sequencing. Wait, so what's that? Next-generation sequencing is a type of sequencing that allows researchers to sequence huge amounts of genetic information at incredible speeds. Through sequencing, we can identify the genetic mutations that give rise to cancer. And researchers are developing new screening tests that use next-generation sequencing to look for signs of cancer in a blood sample. I have so many questions. Good, because that's what this episode of The Big Screen is all about. We're going to talk to oncologists and researchers about the brave new world of early detection. Welcome to Screening the Next Generation. Cancer is a long and drawn-out disease. What can we do? If the disease were discovered in time, they could be cured. There have been remarkable advancements, showing a decrease in the death rate from cancer. You're going to hear one thing that's repeated over and over and over again. The earlier cancer can be detected, the better off the person that has it is going to be. Screening is not what it should be. There's a lot of room for improvement. I mean, what do you mean? I mean, this, this whole time we've been talking about how great screening is. It saves lives, but screening is still pretty limited, especially when you consider that 70 to 80 percent of all cancer deaths are from cancers that we don't screen for. 
Ah, because we only screen for breast, cervical, colon, and lung cancer. Right. But even some of those tests come up short. Take lung cancer, for example. It's the leading cause of cancer death in the U.S. And yet, seven out of eight people who should be getting screened for lung cancer aren't even taking the test. And those are pre-pandemic figures. Why are so few people getting screened for lung cancer? Education, access, affordability, things we've talked about throughout the series. Plus, the lung CT scan is a newer test, and adding an extra test into the mix can be overwhelming. That's why researchers are working to streamline screening through at-home testing kits and blood biopsies. Ah, yes, the home test kits. I mean, they would be one way to pandemic-proof cancer screening, right? Yes, there's an at-home test for colon cancer. We actually mentioned it back in episode two. During the pandemic, these at-home tests got a big bump for obvious reasons. But if you test positive on one of these at-home tests, then you still need to go in to get a colonoscopy at a clinic. So this is the test you need to get to see if you need the test. Exactly. It's a complement to colonoscopy, not a replacement. But the fact remains, the majority of cancer that's out there is slipping through the cracks. And it's the hard-to-detect cancers that are prompting new thinking on cancer detection. So multiple myeloma is a blood cancer or a cancer that originates in the factory of the blood known as the bone marrow. It's difficult to diagnose because there really is no one perfect test for it. This is Dr. Joseph McHale. I'm a hematologist by training, and I have the privilege of serving a few roles. Primarily, I am the chief medical officer of the International Myeloma Foundation. And secondly, I am a professor uh, at the Translational Genomics Research Institute here in Phoenix, Arizona. Dr. Joseph McHale says it can take several months to a year to diagnose multiple myeloma. That's why 95% of all cases are diagnosed at a late stage. Obtaining that diagnosis is difficult, and a lot of this has to do with the way in which we make the diagnosis, because some of the signs and symptoms of myeloma can be attributed to other diseases, such as diabetes. And so uh, a primary care physician or a, a healthcare provider will maybe think this patient has diabetes and go down that path without thinking about multiple myeloma. And of course, we know that the later the diagnosis, the lower the chances of survival. Yeah, most multiple myeloma patients die within two to four years of a diagnosis. But Dr. McHale thinks that genomics will help reduce diagnostic delays and improve treatment. Genomics are and will continue to be an important part and become even a greater feature to what we do in multiple myeloma, both understanding the genetic nature of this disease when we look at those plasma cells that are abnormal, but also hopefully in the future in predicting who is at greater risk of developing myeloma. So what's the difference between genomics and genetics? Good question. Genetics is the study of inherited genes over generations. So genetic sequencing will look for mutations that run in your family. Genomics is the study of your entire genome, how genes interact with each other and respond to your environment. Genomic sequencing is looking for mutations that happen over the course of your lifetime. 
at its base, cancer is a genetic disease. So cancer occurs or is caused by mutations in genes. This is a clip of oncologist Sid Mukherjee, courtesy of the National Human Genome Research Institute. So the first thing that the Cancer Genome Project provided, building on the Human Genome Project, was a answers to these questions. How many genes are mutated in cancers? What are the genes? What is the identity of the genes? What is the relationship between, let's say, two breast cancers? What is the relationship between breast cancer and pancreatic cancer or lung cancer? What is the compendium, what is the encyclopedia of mutated genes that allow cancers to behave like cancers? The world of the cell is like a complex industrial organism carrying on all the interlocking functions necessary to life and growth. It breathes. It feeds. It transports. Do the life functions of the normal cell differ from those in the cancer cell? If we knew, could we disrupt the cancer cell's machinery? And we've learned that cancer mutations are enormously diverse and complex. But the hope is that by studying cancer at this level of specificity, we can find and target the molecular triggers that cause various types of cancer. We may be able to uh, predict more fully who is at greater risk for multiple myeloma than others. Uh, But there is a whole genomic profile that we have yet to fully appreciate and understand that will absolutely influence whom we should be screening more fully uh, and and who is going to be at greater risk for this condition. We've still got a ways to go with multiple myeloma. But this is how researchers flipped the switch on another type of blood cancer. Chronic myeloid leukemia was once as fatal as myeloma. Fewer than 30% of patients lived to see five years. But then researchers identified the gene mutation linked to CML. When science can say with complete assurance what part genetic factors play in cancer in humans, we shall have come to a peak of discovery. And they invented a drug to block that protein. It's called imatinib. Here again is Sid Mukherjee. Imatinib take a particular product of a cancer gene called BCR able, the plant basically jams the, the function of that protein, uh, enabling it to not function anymore. Um, so we began to imagine new forms of therapy based on our understanding of the complexity of cancer genomes. And now patients with chronic myeloid leukemia have almost the same life expectancy as that of the general population. Yesterday, I got an email from a patient of mine who's been with me for 20 years. He's had three of his children graduate from college. The oldest one's going to have their first grandchild sometime next week. And that's what 20 years has meant for him. And that email came to me just out of the blue. I get those all the time. And what an incredible reward. This is Dr. Brian Drucker. I'm director of the Knight Cancer Institute at Oregon Health and Science University. Dr. Drucker is being humble. He's the oncologist who discovered imatinib's life-saving benefits for CML patients. He's also one of the pioneers of precision medicine. Genetic sequencing has allowed us to do a couple of things. First of all, it's uncovered some of the root causes of what drives the growth of cancer. He says diagnosing cancer 
is like diagnosing what's wrong with your car. Before genomic sequencing, you could just identify the make and the model. Now, you can actually find the broken part. It'd be about the same as if you took your car into the garage and you said, oh, you drive a Ford, so this part's broken. It's like, you have breast cancer, so we're going to treat you with these medications. Let's lift up the hood and the engine that drives the growth of the cancer is the same. And the parts that break are the same, so we may treat a breast cancer with the same drug we treat a patient with a lung cancer because we've done that sequencing that defines what parts are broken. The Big Screen is sponsored in part by Bristol-Myers Squibb, creating a better future for people with cancer. Bristol-Myers Squibb is inspired by a single vision, transforming patients' lives through science. The goal of the company's cancer research is to deliver medicines that offer each patient a better, healthier life and to make cure a possibility. For more information, visit bms.com. The Big Screen is also sponsored in part by Daiichi Sankyo, with more than 100 years of scientific expertise, Daiichi Sankyo draws upon a rich legacy of innovation and a robust pipeline of promising new medicines to help patients. Daiichi Sankyo is powered by scientists that push beyond traditional thinking to create transformative medicines for people with cancer. For more information, visit daiichisankyo.com. Okay. I understand how sequencing produces specialized therapies that save lives, but can you explain how this relates to screening? Yeah, so Dr. Drucker wants to apply the principles of precision medicine to early detection. And right now he's developing a billion-dollar program at the OHSU Knight Cancer Institute that does just that. When I started my career, about all we had was chemotherapy for patients with advanced cancer. And for early detection, we had mammograms and PSAs. Watch for these. Any sore that does not heal, a lump or thickening in the breast or elsewhere, any change in a wart or mold. So I've had a 35-year career in oncology, and now we have all these targeted therapies and these remarkably effective immunotherapies. But for early detection, we still have mammograms and PSAs. Watch for the danger signals. Ignore rumor mongers. Keep away from quacks. And so it just seemed to me as we set up our early detection program that we needed to apply the same principles of precision oncology. And by that, I mean we need to develop an understanding of the biology as a cancer transitions from a non-lethal tumor to a lethal cancer and use that knowledge to develop precision-based cancer screening Gene sequencing can help identify people who've inherited cancer-causing genes. We can then put those people on more rigorous and frequent screening programs. And gene sequencing is also paving the way for entirely new screening tools, like blood biopsies. There are several companies that have blood tests in clinical trials that can detect up to 50 different cancers in the blood. 
And what's exciting about those tests is they offer a way to screen for multiple cancers at once, as opposed to the current screening technologies like mammography or colonoscopy, they can only evaluate one organ at a time. And an additional hope is that these multi-cancer early detection tests, looking at a blood sample, could allow for screening of some of the cancers we aren't able to find, like ovarian or pancreas, which we just don't have any screening technologies. Researchers have taken all this genomic data that identifies the molecular signals for various types of cancer, and they've put it in one test. Then they use next-generation sequencing to look for those cancer signals in a drop of blood. These liquid biopsy tests that detect multiple types of cancer are also known as, wait for it, multi-cancer early detection tests. One of these tests claims that it can screen for 50 different types of cancer. That's 46 more than we're currently screening for. And that includes several types of hard-to-detect blood cancers. This becomes really important in monitoring and detecting a resurgence of disease, and maybe even in its initial diagnosis. It may often have to be confirmed later by something more definitive, like a larger tissue biopsy. A liquid biopsy, I think, actually is going to be very important because it can detect cancer at literally micro levels. Some of the work we've done at TGen has demonstrated the value of liquid biopsies in multiple disease sites, including multiple myeloma. So I do think that this will become a very important work in what we do in detecting not just multiple myeloma, but several other cancers. And I think that this technology is actually only going to get better as we now refine the sensitivity of detecting these abnormal signals and abnormal DNA and other features of these liquid biopsies that are are really the, the tiniest amount of smoke that we can trace back to the gun. So I'm thinking these blood tests might be a good alternative during a pandemic, no? Yeah, the tests would likely be more accessible during a pandemic. But it's like the at-home test for colon cancer. Multi-cancer early detection tests would be used in conjunction with our current screening protocol. The main benefit is that they detect more cancers. And there's hope that they'll reach more people. I would certainly hope and imagine that a simple blood test to screen for cancer is going to be way easier to deploy broadly than something like mammography or colonoscopy. And you have to schedule the test, you have to have access, you have to have transportation, you have to have all sorts of things to prepare for that type of a test. Whereas a blood test, you could get that pretty much anywhere. Of course, then you've got to do the follow-up exams if it's positive. But it's certainly my belief that something as simple as a blood test would lower the barriers in terms of equity and access. One of these multi-cancer early detection tests claims that when it's added to current screening tools, we will be able to detect three times as many cancer incidents as we do now. And we'll be able to detect 70% of all cancer incidents at an earlier stage. But whether these tests will expand screening accessibility will largely depend on whether they're covered by insurance and Medicare. So in order to truly address the equity issue, those tests would need to have coverage. 
and be available across the population. This is Jody Hoyos. She's the president and COO of the Prevent Cancer Foundation. It's a group that promotes early detection, and it's throwing its support behind a new bill in the House of Representatives. The Prevent Cancer Foundation is very proud that we have joined efforts with over 300 advocacy groups to support legislation called the Multi-Cancer Early Detection Coverage Act of 2021, which essentially says that the CMS, the Center for Medicaid and Medicare Services, has the ability to review these multi-cancer early detection tests for coverage once they're FDA approved. So the bill would fast-track review of these tests for Medicare coverage, but it would have to get FDA approval first. And we know from the history of screening that FDA approval can take a long time. Dr. Drucker expects the test will be widely available for clinical use in the next few years. But in the meantime, there's a lot of work that still needs to be done. We have to figure out their clinical utility and how that's going to be evaluated. Well, you need a survival advantage to get approval. We really want to tune these tests so that we detect potentially lethal cancers at an early stage and not bother finding these cancers that are never going to be a problem. And the last thing we have to deal with is the rates of false positivity. And so if we unleash a test that has a really high rate of false positivity, we're going to see lots of people that are told, we think you may have cancer. We then go do an evaluation. We find nothing. Where do you stop? So you have a lot of work to do before these, these tests are ready for general clinical utility. Even though the efficacy of these next-generation tests hasn't been fully determined, Dr. Drucker is convinced that we're moving in the direction of a major breakthrough. I just think that these multi-cancer early detections have the, the ability to completely revolutionize the way that we detect early cancers. There are so many cancers where we just can't detect them early. Pancreas cancer, ovarian cancer, even lung cancer, we're not very good at detecting early. And we know that survival rates are much, much better if they can be detected early. So I think there's a lot to learn, and it's just an exciting time in, in the evolution of testing. But I think it has the potential to truly revolutionize the ability to detect and treat cancer early, and ultimately save millions and millions of lives. That's what screening has always been about. Saving as many lives as possible by detecting cancer when it's most treatable. With our scientific interventions, the overall rate of cancer mortality has decreased by about 25%. And researchers predict that with multi-cancer early detection tests, we might increase the number of lives saved from 25% to 50%. So the future is looking bright. Screening technology will keep improving to save more lives in the future, possibly the near future. But the best way we can ensure a good future for ourselves is to use the resources that are available to us right now. 
by getting screened as soon and as regularly as needed. Here's Mary Gar. About 10,000 Americans will probably die because they didn't receive on-time, you know, screening and diagnosis and treatment to help ensure their survivability. And in most of these health conditions, if they are caught earlier on time, are survivable. People seek health care when they're at their most vulnerable, which is not the best time to be seeking health care. And it's how to, to help them be reassured that their health care providers will see them and take care of their health needs. And here's a parting message from Dr. Lisa Richardson at the CDC. For those who may be afraid to come back in, there are many, many, many procedures in place to help you. But all I can say is you have one life to live and you need to take care of yourself. And that includes getting your regular screenings for cancer because you the pandemic will end. <laughs> and you want to be alive when it ends and well. And here's Jody Hoyos from the Prevent Cancer Foundation with advice on how to get your screening routine back on the books. Taking care of yourself is the single most important thing that you can do for yourself and the people that care for you. And if there are any questions about which type of cancer screenings you should be getting or what providers are putting in place to keep you safe, please go to www.preventcancer.org back on the books. And we do have a, a nice reference for the different screenings at different ages. All right, that's a wrap for the big screen. Thank you for listening. And from all of us at Offscript Health, go get screened. And check out our show notes for more information on how to do that. That's it for the big screen. Try the veal. I'm here all week. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Big Screen. If you like this show, be sure to subscribe, leave a review, follow us on social, and tell all your friends to listen. The Big Screen is a product of Offscript Health. We are a healthcare engagement company built for patients and caregivers by patients and caregivers. Our executive producers are Matthew Zachary and Andrew McDowell. Our senior producer is Betsy Shepard. Our hosts are Betsy Shepard and Matthew Zachary. The Big Screen is recorded, mixed, and edited by Betsy Shepard. For advertising and media inquiries, email media at offscriptnot.com. That's media at offscript.com. For more information, visit offscript.com.